there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. This week's episode is part one of a two-part podcast with Site Instructor Noby Partners, which was formed by the merger of Site Instructor Implement and William Noby & Company in January 2020. In this episode, I sat down to talk with Tom and Brad Noby, generations three and four of the Noby family involved in the business. The Nobies have been in business since 1907. Before we head over to my conversation with Tom and Brad, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a trusted agricultural industry leader for 35 years. HBS Systems is constantly updating their cutting-edge equipment dealership software. They've grown from serving one dealership to more than 1,500 agriculture and construction dealerships throughout the U.S. and Canada. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation now with Tom sharing the story of how his grandfather got the business started over 100 years ago. This is part one of the R-Dealer story of Site Instructor Noby Partners. Tom, can you tell me a little bit about the early stories of, I mean, I know you obviously weren't there in 1907, the story yeah. <laughs> of you know, how the business got started. Yeah, you bet. So yeah, it started in 1907, uh, January, and uh, it was actually started by uh, William Noby, who was my grandfather's quite a bit older brother. Uh, and they they started off with obviously horse-drawn equipment. Um, they had uh, threshing machines like Keck Gunnerman threshing machines, um, and then they actually had hardware and the, 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 all the kind of things that old-time farm stores would have had in the past. And then they got into the tractors. They had you know back then I don't think there was many companies that had the full breadth of the full line. So. Um, they handled Samson was probably the one they talk about the most, the one that they got started with tractors. It was okay. pretty popular, popular tractor back then. And they had a, they had a stint with McCormick Deering. And they had one with J.I. Case. And then we actually, according to John Deere, the records show that we signed the John Deere agreement January 2nd of 1929. Now, I have a book at home here that, that we found that it's, a, it's an old Farmer's Almanac book. And it's actually a, a 1919 uh, book and it actually has William Noby and Company in it, and it shows John Deere harvesting and farm implements. So I'm not sure if they bootlegged John Deere <laughs> in at the time or how they got John Deere. To, they were know, selling they, it, but didn't have the contract or something. Yeah, that's, that's that's probably what it was. Probably, of course. Obviously, in those days, they you know Grandpa always talked about you know trade trading horses and mules and all kinds of stuff in on equipment. Yeah, yeah. And they, then they had they had. Uh, Binders like wheat binders. Okay. Uh, that was that was the big specialty of theirs, and and every year they'd have this massive binder parade, where they'd have all kinds of binders in the parade, and then all the all the customer farmers would bring them into town, and I mean it's probably uh, I'm gonna guess fifty hundred binders maybe. Oh wow. Uh, parading through town, which is, was kind of a neat deal. The original business, where was that based? It was actually uh, in down in downtown Waterloo. And it was the building is actually still there. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and, and it uh, it's been remodeled. I think it's a barber shop and a sheet uh, uh, HVAC business. They actually got into cars then when, with the advent of the automobile, and uh, their their lines were Chevrolet and Buick, and they ran they ran with those uh, together uh, in the business. To, I'm I'm guessing in the 30s sometime. Okay. And then 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 that side of the family, which was William's sons, spun off and went on a separate location with the car business. Okay. And then my grand my grandpa then took over the farming equipment business. Okay. Is your grandpa Henry? Henry, yeah, that's okay. correct. So then when did um 
since it was your your grandfather, you know, running it at some point, do you have memories of of that time when, as a kid, those kind of earlier years? Yeah, I, yeah. Grandpa was he was there every uh, up. He was lived to be ninety seven. Oh, and wow. I think pretty much up until the end, he he actually was at the store almost every day for an hour or two. And he'd sit on a couch and he'd get the chance to talk to customers. But he actually kind of really turned it over to my dad and my uncle, probably in the mid-40s. So like, well, pretty much turned the responsibility over to them. He didn't really, uh, he was he was probably still capable of doing it, but he let them go ahead and run it. But he, you know, he, he was kind of a quiet guy, but every once in a while he'd start telling, you know, stories about trading the horses and the mules and getting stuck with stuff. And yeah, you know, it was, it was uh, he had some pretty neat, pretty neat uh, things to listen to. So do you know when, because I've talked to a few dealers now who have shared a similar story of when, you know, the dealership has been around since the early 1900s that they were, trading for horses and mules and whatever do you know what they did with the horses i mean like did they just try to find someone to sell a horse to then or what do you know yeah. what kind of happened yeah. then yeah basically they uh, of course they were kind of like more like draft horses to pull to pull plows and stuff with right. so yeah they kind of like just trading in a used tractor they'd sell you used horse i guess the customer <laughs> uh, tricky to feel figure out the valuation on on the used yeah. horse but. <laughs> yeah that it would be. <laughs> when did you get in, involved, and do you have you know anyone else from from your generation? Yeah, so uh, our dad, like a dad, and my dad and my uncle ran it until uh, from '45, let's say '45, until 1989. That was kind of an unusual thing too, and I kind of talked about how my grandpa transitioned things over. Mm-hmm. So uh, my dad came in at uh, October of 1989 and basically said that my cousin and I were kind of running it at that time, Brian, he kind of said that they, him and Bob, which was Brian's dad, talked it over and they thought that they could kind of retain ownership and then still manage the business. But he said, man, you were kind of, we, we got along great. There was never really any issues, but uh, that we kind of on a different, we were on a growth mode and they were on a conservative mode. Okay. So he said, I just don't think we can handle that. So we've been talking about, it, and I think the best thing we could do is, figure out a way to uh, sell this to you guys, but let you guys go ahead and do what you want to do. So we started meeting with attorneys and CPAs. And by the end of that year, uh, we actually uh, had bought the business from them. They gave us plenty of time to pay for it. Yeah. But uh, that was pretty admirable. And I, I keep telling my boys, uh, if I get to that point where I'm starting to get in the way, you guys got to tell me the same thing. Because <laughs> there How comes many? a point in time where you got it. You got it. You just got to step back and let the, let the next generation take off. And Right. Let them learn the lessons they'll need to learn, and yeah, yeah, and, and do it. they make a, they made a few mistakes here and then, but they they learn well from. That's all I ask. They learn from and correct it going forward. But uh, I'm re- I'm really happy with uh, the way they've been handling things. I might also add, Kim. You know, I know obviously know I got a lot of association involvement. So um, what's ironic about it? Mississippi Valley Farm Equipment Dealer Association, which was based in St. Louis. Started okay. the very started the very same year that our company started, 1907. Wow! So we've been we've been involved in that, and, and uh, Joe Dykes wasn't around in 1907 either, but he actually became the the <laughs> CEO of Mississippi Valley. So we disbanded. Okay, I was going to say, what did that become? But it just yeah, it was we were just starting to re- kind of Kim like dealers are going through. We just started realizing that this isn't really going down the right path. We're losing dealers and we're losing yeah. revenue not supporting our dealers enough. 
and why you, everybody wants to hang on to the heritage and the legacy. There comes a point in time you hang on too long, that's, it's all going to be gone. Right. What we did is we actually, uh, we were, there was Southern Illinois and Eastern Missouri, and Eastern Missouri went with Western, now Western, and uh, Southern Illinois went with Gary Mankey and the Midwest Southeast. Okay. So when you took over, or you and your cousin took over, how many stores were in the operation at that point? We just had the one store. It was just the one. Yeah. Okay. And, and then we bought, which I know that made my dad and my uncle nervous, even though they were out of it, but we actually <laughs> added, added Steelville in uh, 1998. Okay. So and in almost got, 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. After. And then can you kind of go through kind of how what some of that growth was then um, with with uh, adding stores yeah. and things you know, like that? We, We've never really had an opportunity to buy a, a, a really strong, successful dealership. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steelville would have been a good example of that. I mean, the market share was pretty low in that area, and we had to kind of go in and rebuild it. Then the next store that we bought was Jackson, and the previous dealer actually pulled out of that location, sold everything, so we had to buy everything new, and then employees left, so we had to rehire employees. So we... We, maybe that's a good thing. We really never had anything that was just handed to us that was really, really strong and successful. We kind of, you kind of had to build it from there. Brad, when did you get involved with the business, and kind of what's your your role today? Yeah, so uh, I'm 34 years old now, Kim, and I uh, I started out in the dealership when I was uh, when I was in grade school. Yet uh, my brother and I would would spend uh, spend the summers out there for the most part, and then even after school at times. And we did a lot of odd jobs. It seems the things that I remember the most were clean, cleaning equipment. <laughs> we spent a lot of times cleaning equipment and cleaning up the dealership. Um, I know we stocked the parts shelves a lot. And um, one of the other things I remember, it seemed like whenever we had nothing else to do, we just cut notepads for the for the parts people. So um, I don't know if we were if we if we had a lot of value back when we were super young, but uh, we definitely got a feel for the business. Um, and I would say I, I really probably got most excited about it whenever I went to college and I joined an, an ag fraternity and was studying agriculture and just being around uh, that group of individuals and the and education I was getting, uh, I got pretty excited about it pretty quickly. So I came in and I was doing the precision ag when I graduated college in 2008. Um, did that for a few years and then uh, we got some got some good people on board that enabled me to kind of help. Uh, my dad's cousin Brian, we, he had he had planned out his retirement for the end of 2013, so I started working with him in in a sales role, um, and then and then kind of led our ag sales efforts for um, several years, and then with this with the merger with Science Sugars, now I'm leading our used equipment team. So okay. um, got to do got to do a few different things, but all all more on the large ag side. Um, my brother Jared, when he first came in, was doing a lot of stuff related to, to the turf and small ag business. Uh, we actually had just opened a store at Alton right when Jared graduated college in 2005, and he, he went up there to kind of lead that lead that store. Um, and then as we as we kind of evolved with growth in different locations, he took on uh, the, the sales of our of our small ag and turf uh, segments. Okay. You might tell her your first job. His first job, I went back and told our service manager, you know, don't treat them special, make them make them do anything. And so his first job was down in the oil separator pit, uh, <laughs> digging that sludge and oil and rotten soybeans. 
out of that thing, and they did a, they did a good job, but boy, they stunk. <laughs> they had to walk home then, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Tom, what were some of the the early jobs you had around the dealership, or or early just memories of of being around the place? Yeah, I, I honestly, Kim, I pretty much did everything, and uh, I, I think that was a really big advantage, much like what they went through, because people kind of employees knew that you were there and did what they did. But I worked in parts somewhat. Brian probably did more of the parts stint than I did. I, you know, I helped out in there. Um, I actually set set up equipment. We were actually lawn and garden mechanics, Brian and I, early on, set up a lot of equipment, and then uh, I drove our semi for quite a few years. Um, Delivered delivered equipment to customers. I kind of got to know the customers through that. And of course, I was bothering my dad forever to try. When am I going to get to go out and sell equipment? And I finally, finally talked him into let you know let me go out and do that. And uh, he sent me down to an area where we had literally no market share. And I was I was down there I think six months, and I had not uh, really sold anything to speak of. And I told him, well, I'll never forget this. I told him one day, I said, you know, I'm, I think I'm wasting my time and your time too. I'm just, I don't really know what I'm saying. If I need to have better customers or reassignment or, or get out of this. And, uh, he said, keep doing it. it. It takes time to develop those relationships. And it wasn't too long after that, I sold my first tractor and loader and then a planner. And it seemed like from that, things just keep mushrooming. And, you know, one, Former will tell another one that he bought something from me, and uh, you know now you now you get in that area, it's it's pretty pretty John Deere. So yeah, feel kind of proud of that. We'll get back to the Nobi story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farmbashequipment.com for the latest industry news. And to learn more about the next Dealership Mind Summit and to register, visit www.dealershipmindsummit.com. Now back to the story of Side Instructor Novi Partners and Tom sharing the story of his most memorable sale and then how the two dealership groups came together in 2020. My best, my best sale of the sale, it was, this was probably in 84, so the dollars were kind of relative to 84, but a $150,000 tractor outright in the McDonald's drive-up uh, lane so i went i went to church and i was going through the drive-up lane go home and eat breakfast and um our a customer was ahead of me and he jumps out of his car and comes back and basically asked me how quick i could get a 8850 four-wheel drive to this job site and they basically told me if you can get it get it on this job site by the end of next week we'll buy it and i i found one and went and hauled it myself and got it to him and that was a that was a crazy sale in the yeah. drive up drive up on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Hopefully there wasn't a line of cars behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would have noticed or cared actually. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they should all be that easy, huh? Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> How was that period in in the eighties for you guys when things were kind of as down as they could be? Yeah, you know I. I got to tell you the truth, Kim. I, this is going to make me sound like I'm boastful, but um, I, I tell our employees to kind of keep their spirits up that those probably were our better growth years. Okay. And I, I, I think the only reason is because there's, you know, you, it's pretty easy to get negative attitudes. And uh, 
we had a pretty, pretty young and aggressive group. Um, and we just got our heads together and we got out and called on customers. And even though everybody was saying nobody's buying nothing and customers told us that, we still wound up, you know, getting service work and selling parts and selling some equipment. And I think those years actually drove our business somewhat to where it is today. Yeah, if you came out strong through that. Well, I thought it was interesting that you said your your dad and uncle came to you guys in 89 saying after at the end of, you know, toward the end of all of that. Yeah. Maybe they were tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> we're done working this hard. <laughs> we we you know, we were really fortunate. They, you know, they they probably weren't in aggressive growth mode like we, but they one thing they did right, they they taught us a lot. But one thing they did right is they developed really strong loyal customers in in Waterloo's AOR. And that really kind of helped us uh, probably propel through that because they had some, they, we had some really good customers that they turned over to us mm-hmm. and we got some, you know, we're, you know, we're dealing with three generations, four generations of customers. I'm, I'm thinking of one right now that uh, I'm not sure my grandpa dealt with his family, but my dad did. I took over and now Brad's been selling them. That's pretty cool. And probably all kind of with each, you know, as your generation shifted, the customers generate, you know, you probably are dealing with yep, yep. the father also and, and Brad, the son. So that's yep. cool. How do you feel like the, what you learned and the attitude you had in the, in the eighties when, when times were hard too, has helped in this downturn we've got right now? Has that carried through? No doubt. It uh, you, you don't forget that. And you don't forget that, you know, if you, it's pretty easy. Like I said, it's pretty easy to get down and think that nobody's going to buy anything. But when when you remember those times and we we made it through okay with that, that uh, the same thing will apply today, and it and it has been. Have you? What do you? How do you? Um, how have you kind of tried to teach that lesson to Brad's generation, who they were alive in the '80s, but they clearly didn't, you know, know what was going on necessarily. Um, or even people who younger, you know, people in their twenties now who are working in the dealership who they have no concept of of those times. I'll let, I'll let Brad maybe since he is that generation. Yeah. So I, what I would say, Kim, is just uh, you know the, the nice thing about um, working in family, especially when you get along, you get to spend a lot of time together, and there's a lot of trust built up, and there's there's a lot of storytelling, and uh, you know I, I, I never lived through 18% interest rates, but. I spend a lot of time figuring financing and calculating deals, and it's hard for me to imagine what 18% interest would have been like. So um, I, I think we can understand it. One of the things, too, that was interesting is we probably not near what the 80s were, but we went through a pretty difficult time, uh, all farm equipment dealers, just a few years ago, whenever uh, we were all saddled with a lot of inventories. And, and not, not saying that things are great now, but coming off the high that we were on, we had a lot of used inventory and we, we had a, a really difficult time working through it. So just really, even in 12 years that I've been full-time, we've, we've kind of seen some ebbs and flows. But but really, it comes from just all the time that we've spent together as a family and the trust that we've built up over the years. And you hear it from customers and you hear it from employees and, and obviously within our family as well. So there's you and your brother involved in the business. Do you have cousins in in the business as well or are you two the only from that generation just Jared and I from the uh from the fourth generation so my uh my dad's cousin Brian who who I I refer to as my uncle and I think everybody just assumes that's the case but uh, he had two children that that uh, worked out there at the dealership when they were younger as well and it just just wasn't the right fit for them so okay um they they never came back okay Kim one thing that uh 
that I think helped those guys too is they, they both spent two summers while they were going to college away working for other John Deere dealers. Okay. So Brad spent uh, in Kansas, he spent a year, a summer, and then he spent a summer in Colorado. And Jared spent a summer in central Illinois and then went to Florida for a summer to work for John Deere dealers. Okay. So that, that getting that outside dealership experience. Yeah. Was benefit helped kind of come right. in and have some other, you know, something other than the family business then. Right. Exactly. Right. So Kim, where I, where I thought my dad was going with that, and just another point I would, I would make is one thing I think we've probably done pretty good over the years that I've, re- I've really only seen one generation, but just hearing stories from dad is we, we've, we've done pretty well with succession planning. And, uh, you know, I look at, I look at when Brian exited the business, um, he couldn't have done it. Um, he couldn't have done it in a better way. He, he had made a plan of when he had wanted, wanted to get out and, uh, what his expectations were. And he was, uh, the, really respectful of the transition to my brother and I, and, uh, it just, I just look back and I imagine that's almost exactly how it went whenever my grandpa, grandpa and great uncle turned it over to my dad and Brian. So mm-hmm. I think that's been one of the things we've really done. We've done well. Yeah, that's great when it can be relatively seamless and uh, there's a plan in place and people are ready to step up when the time comes. Yeah. So how did, um, how has the merger changed things um, or, you know, you're about, it's about a year into it now, right? About six months. Exactly. Six months. Okay. January, January 1st, yeah. We have, we probably started talking two years prior okay. to that. Um, we actually, um, Brad met Ted Briscoe at uh, CE, John Deere CEO Summit and talked. And they just thought it'd be good to get together just since we're neighbors, just to get to know each other and see, see how we can maybe work together and not necessarily merge or anything. So Jared, Brad, and I and Ted met in St. Charles probably two years ago and um Kind of discussed. The first thing Ted asked was, "Would we sell our Missouri stores?" And of course, Jared said, "Absolutely not," and the reasons why we wouldn't want to do that. And, and then I kind of opened my mouth and said, uh, "You know, what we maybe consider though is maybe working toward a merger. You know, do they go together?" And Ted mm-hmm. jumped on that. Ted jumped on that. It was probably a little quicker than I thought, but the very first thing he did was we got uh, all the all the owners' families together and went to dinner in St. Louis. So we could not just the individuals get to know each other, but also the wives as well. Yeah. And then that went that went really well. Um, and then we started meeting, kept bringing more and more of the the people in the man, the key management people, and worked on different different teams, worked on different segments, and it was pretty crazy how uh, close we were with some of the processes and, and the processes or the things we did different. Uh, it it made sense that well one party or the other had a better way to do it and everybody right. agreed to that. So it I it really kind of fell together pretty well to be honest with you. The nice the, the real nice thing Kim is our our long term objectives are 100 percent aligned. So the new company is going uh, with the same direction that we that both families wanted in, individually, which was that we want to be the families want to be involved in this business. We want to be active uh, employee owners and. Uh, we want to be around for a long time to take care of our employees and customers. So, you know, I, I think there's there's some days that probably both sides uh, wish we could go back to maybe having one store or even just 13. <laughs> but the, the, tr- the truth of the matter is that we, we both want to be around for a really long time. And the best way to do that and take care of our employees and customers is, is to find a, a good partner, which is exactly what we did. So, And our, our vision has been for a long time has been 
to be a sustainable family-owned business for the next 100 years. Okay. And to be quite honest with you, we feel like we still got that. It's two families now, but we're uh, we're we're it'll, it'll enable us to be around a lot longer, and, and we still got family involved in ownership. Well, so it's only six months into the to the new business, but what do you kind of what's the future hold? Do you think what's next? Well, I think I think we we, we feel like we have a, a full, we we've kind of joked we have we certainly have a full stomach. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot to digest. There's a lot to uh, to get on the same page, uh, but we do feel like it was interesting. I was at a meeting. I think it was two weeks into the merger, and we were we were talking. And one of the themes that came out at the end of the meeting was, you know, we're we're operating as one organization today. So that was pretty exciting. How quickly we were able to do things. Um, you know, obviously there's been some some processes that that maybe we didn't see coming that have been a little bit more of a change than we thought, but. Uh, we've gotten on the same on the same path uh, pretty quickly. What I would tell you, Kim, is, is is even going back before we merged the two companies. Is uh, you know it's it's not about growing just to grow. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we're certainly open minded to that just because um, you know the trend seems to be continuing that way. But it's really more about um, what's what's the scale that enables us to deliver the most value to our employees, customers, and and, and shareholders for that matter too. But um, we're just we're just interested in being in business for a long time, so whatever that entails, we'll uh, we'll be open to. All right. Yeah, that's the that's the key, I think, the customer end of it that probably we spend the most time on. Because mm-hmm. I think I think we can offer our customers. I know we can offer our customers more than we had separate. But the key is we got to be able to deal with them the same way we dealt with them as smaller families, and that's that's. Like I said, that's a really the watch. That's kind of why we've got things broken apart, and we got them broken apart in divisions, so we can stay close to the customers. Thanks so much to Tom and Brad Novi for taking the time to sit down and share the Novi half of the Site Instructor Novi Partner story with us. We'll have part two of the story with Eddie, Leanne, and Kim Site Instructor next time. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessonermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Tom and Brad Noby. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast. <laughs>